burning bush, Exodus 3, verse 1. I want to look at it quickly together if we can. It says here, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. We talked about this, how this is a summary of Moses' career shift, if you will. He had gone from being a prince of Egypt, first 40 years of his life. The second 40 years of his life, he's a shepherd in the land of Midian. Um, and you can still go there, the Sinai wilderness. It's a... Uh, uh, it was, a, it was a, a major shift, to say the least, uh, in the life of Moses. It must have seemed like he had been living two disconnected lives because one was so, such a contrast to the other. Uh, the first portion of Moses' life, he had lived, as like we mentioned, a prince in Egypt, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had been trained at the highest levels and exposed to the, to the best understanding of that day. He was, he was given an amazing amount of exposure to a variety of experiences, people, uh, other cultures that interacted with Egypt. But after that, when he had fled for his life and left the land of Egypt as a fugitive, he comes to this land of Midian. Um, he comes to this place by the desert regions of the Sinai, and his life is remarkably altered. He, he completely shifts and becomes a shepherd in a shepherd, not just any kind of a shepherd, but a shepherd who takes his flock, the flock of the man who hired him and whose daughter he married, who he was working for, this man named Jethro, also known as Ruel. He becomes the primary caretaker of the flock. And he, that means he has a lot of expeditions and times where he journeys through the desert into the mountainous regions of the Sinai. And we, we're told here, it says that he led the flock, look at verse 1 again, if you can. He led the flock to the back of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. We're going to talk about that more in the days to come. But uh, again, last week we talked about the desert place as the place where dreams die. We're trying to establish the metaphor. Uh, we talked about how we all have wilderness places in this life and how those wilderness places of life, whether they're things that are relational um, or areas that uh, have to do with our health, our finances, our own issues that we're trying to work through, things of our past coming back and really uh, affecting us in an adverse way. Uh, all, we, we have extended seasons where we're battling depression or loneliness or we're having a hard time trusting God and we're, our faith is, it seems to be drying up. You know, in these desert places of life where it's really hard, uh, it's, things are not easy at all. Um, this is, the desert is the place where uh, it can be very lonely. It's the place where men and women are forgotten. The desert is no man's land. It's stark, it's barren, it's desolate, it's distant, it's dry, it's difficult. It's the, it, it, if you can think of it visually, it's the place where there's not much green and there's a whole lot of uh, parched bones along that litter the, the sides. I mean, it's a, it's, it litter the landscape. It's, it's a stark, difficult place. And, and so here is Moses, an old shepherd, in the backside of the desert, his Egyptian dreams long forgotten. And again, we've talked about how the desert places, these wilderness times of life, can be very tough. I would also like to submit early on here in our sharing time that the wilderness and desert places of life also can be used in very uh, positive and sometimes even amazing ways. And I want to talk about just briefly some other things that happen in the wilderness places, that it's not always just bad. Uh, firstly, I want to suggest, and I just for those of us who are taking us, we're just going to list these fairly rapidly. But the first thing I want to suggest is that in the desert is, the, is where we often find, in these desert places of life, we often uh, regain our equilibrium. 
and our balance. Uh, in our aloneness, we may find ourselves. It, it, we find stability in a solitary place because maybe part of the problem has been that we've actually lost our focus and, and we've become out of balance. And so sometimes the Lord is, is trying to get us from being focused on the wrong thing. So one of, the, one of the indirect blessings of the wilderness place in life, the tough season of life, the tough seasons of life, is that a, a lot of times they help, we, we find that we have been out of balance that we have not been focusing on the right things. We have not been, as Jesus said, to seek first the kingdom of God. That we have, we have actually found our identity and worth in other things other than what he would have us to find our, our worth and value and security in. And that leads to the second thought, which is that the wilderness tends to, to really affect our self-perspective, right? It, it tends to uh, alter it. It allows it to be changed. We, we often are stripped of our veneer, so we start to live with less pretense, and um, our past accomplishments, uh, our achievements, our titles, uh, degrees, they, 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 if they don't mean nothing, they at least mean less than we thought they did. And in these places of life, things that we've always used to define ourselves by sometimes are stripped from us, and we are exposed. And when we're exposed in the desert, it's a raw place. It's almost like being naked or unclothed. We feel so vulnerable. And yet in that, in that place, we, we also realize that part of what we thought was essential to our self-worth is not nearly as, as essential as we thought it was. That God has other things to teach us about who we are and what matters. A lot of times that happens when we are forced out of a place of comfort and ease and in this place of difficulty and where we wrestle with things and we wrestle with God, we often learn more about who he really wants us to be. Thirdly, life is often reordered in the desert place. It's often, uh, we find it, it being a sort of reprioritization taking place. Uh, new priorities emerge, new ways of, of seeing what's important, what's really important. We start seeing things differently, believing things differently. We, we, be, we become different in some ways. And if we don't get burnt out and bitter, we will discover a different kind of beauty even. We, the desert beauty. Uh, the, the beauty of the desert has a beauty all its own. There's, you know, I love to go in the mountains and I love the green and I love lakes and, and there's a real beauty in, 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 you just, we're so close to some of the most amazing places in the world. I mean, you go to Yosemite, it's astonishing how beautiful it is. It's hard to drive into Yosemite and, and, and see this uh, stunning cathedral carved out of stone and not be drawn some, in some way irresistibly to your creator. I mean, it's, it's, it like speaks of, of a call from God to us because we re it's just beautiful. But there's a beauty also in the desert. It's a stark beauty. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it has pastels in the beginning and the end of the day. It, it, it's, it's crisp. It feels alone. It feels quiet. It's different. There is a beauty in the wilderness of life. Sometimes in that pain, there comes a different beauty if we're willing to experience it. And we learn a lot about our life and about reordering our life. Lastly, I'll say, and it's just quickly here, is a lot of times what we find is that not only is our understanding of ourselves altered, but listen, our understanding of God is altered. It becomes enlarged. It becomes changed. It becomes expanded. It's not uncommon for people, if those of us who follow Jesus, especially realize this at times, we come through a very difficult place and we look back on it and we go, well, oh, that was a nightmare for me. That was hellish. 
It was so hard, so bad, so tough. Maybe someone broke a promise to us. Maybe we were abandoned. Maybe we, we got really hurt or injured. A trust injury, very hard to recover from. Maybe it was hard for us to trust God. It's been hard for us to trust God. But we find ourselves getting past that season. We start to get better. Strength returns. It's not uncommon that by the t- when we look back and we go, wow, that was awful. I wouldn't want to go through it again. But boy, I grew so much through that time. It forced me to really take what I believed and wrestle with it and find out how much I actually really did know God. And a lot of times we find that our whole relationship with God is expanded and affected and changed. A lot of times our character things that are developed in the wilderness period of time because we're exercising in a way spiritual muscles uh, that we've never had to exercise before. We grow. If we can survive, we end up growing a lot. And we end up getting, a lot, a lot of times what happens is we end up getting a lot more sympathetic, compassionate. Uh, we, we find it easier to join with someone in their wounding because we've known what it's like to struggle. A lot of times God, part of what God does is he comforts us so that we may comfort others. There is an element of us that goes from saying, yeah, I understand what you're going through, I'm, to I, I do understand. And I, my prayer is with you. I am with you. See, the, there are things that God develops in us in those wilderness places of life. And so I, I, I really believe that the Lord was trying to develop things in Moses. He just didn't know it. Now, let's go back to verse number one. It says here that he was in the back of the desert. Um, the desert wilderness is a very hot place. Uh, in the desert, one learns to conserve energy. Movements are costly, so the economy of movement is critical, not just for convenience, but for survival. You know, I was thinking about heat because it was a few months ago that I was preparing in the summer for this series. And I found myself thinking about how hot, hot it must have been when Moses confronted the burning bush. We don't know for sure if it was day, night, um, in the middle of the day, in the morning. It's, we don't, we're not told when this incident occurs, but in, in my mind's eye, it occurred in the day. And so uh, I was thinking about how hot it must have been for Moses. And... Uh, I had gone on a, I mentioned this already, but I, had, I had, was on my way to, to uh, a summer little backpacking trip in, in the Sierra, and part of what we had to do was go through um, the valley, and in Tracy, or I think it was Tracy or Manteca, but I remember getting out to, to we were stopping uh, to get out of the car to go to a coffee shop. Um, I won't tell you which name it was, except that it's ubiquitous, ubiquitous and amazingly consistent. I think you know what I mean. Um, and uh, I was so overwhelmed by the uh, heat. It was 100 degrees at 10 a.m. And I was not accustomed to that. Even, you know, I, I was like breathing in an oven, and I couldn't wait to get in. I couldn't wait to get up to the mountains where the breeze was. But I, you gotta remember, I'm a city boy. I mean, I grew up here in San Francisco, not just anywhere in San Francisco. I grew up by the beach in Great Highway, 47th Avenue, between Wawona and Vicente. That was, and my summers, I never saw sun in the summer. I, 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 I only saw fog, you know, and, and I thought that was how it was for everybody. I didn't even realize that if you just went over the hill in San Francisco, there were other neighborhoods that had sun in them. And it's an amazing place to live because there are microclimates in, our, in such a short range of, of space. But, you know, I, was, I found myself thinking about, oh, it is so hot. And then we understand, we, don't, we live in such a mild climate that, you know, in a lot of cultures, a lot of places in the world where it's really stifling, where the heat is so stifling, especially in the summer, uh, you know, in the middle of the day, people take siestas. People, people don't, don't work because it's, you can't do it. So you, you, you relax, you conserve 
Uh, it's a different pace, a different way of living. The desert life is a lot like that. I can imagine Moses sitting uh, in the desert like nomads and shepherds would have done uh, in the wilderness place. Now, again, let me just kind of uh, uh, remind everybody that when we talk about the back of the desert, we're talking about the area of the Sinai where it wasn't, don't just think only in terms of desert, like sand, endless sand. We have to think in terms of more of a, a craggy kind of mountain, mountain, desolate, stark landscape. In fact, I asked what they, they could put up a little, just to give you us an idea of the Sinai wilderness. And, and to, it's, so it's desolate, it's desert-like, but and clearly nothing much is growing there, correct? But it's not only uh, just endless sand dunes. The, the, the imagery we need, to, we need to understand is this is the kind of place where Moses would have been. And, and going into this, so there are mountains, there are, there's a sort of uh, you know, rocky, desolate, arid uh, feel to it, but it's, it, it provides places where you can have shade. And so we can imagine Moses sitting in the middle of the day under the shade, uh, waiting out the sun, and he sees something in the distance. We're told here that uh, the, in verse 2, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So he's looking here, and the Moses said, You know, I will now turn aside and see this great sight and why the bush does not burn. Look at verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Now, again, Moses is there if we can just for a moment indulge this, our imagination, he's in that, that sort of place where he's in the shade. He's looking, he sees a bush. It's not a tree, a bush. And these, there are these acacia bushes that, that grow in that region. They're thorny, they're, they're sturdy. But, you know, it's not uncommon to see some bu- a bush in some, in a, over a period of time in the middle of the heat just almost combust. Uh, there, it was not, it, was like, he would have, it, would have, it would have been something that didn't happen a lot, but not something that would have been so completely unfamiliar to him. To see uh, a, a, some type of a bush get so dry and in the heat so stifling that it burst into some type of combustion. And as a result, he probably was looking, he goes, I've seen that before. And he's sitting there and he's watching that sight from a distance. He sees a bush burning and he's probably thinking, well, you know, soon it's going to be a charred skeleton and black smoke will be and whatever. And he probably reaches over and mumbles to himself and grabs a little animal skin with this precious, uh, precious liquid and takes a little swig of that water and is just sort of looking from a distance at what's going on. But the irony, of course, is that as he's watching this, instead of seeing the smoke and the black smoke start to come, he's, it, this thing keeps burning, but it doesn't seem to be consumed. And so it was something like this that would have been enough to catch his attention and mobilize him out of his place and get him to move towards it. And, and the Bible says that Moses turned aside and he noted it and he says, what is this? I've never seen anything like this. And it says that he started to make his way towards the bush. He, turned, he said, I will turn aside and see what is this? And notice what happens as he's making his way there. Um, he, he gets closer and closer. And then as he gets closer to it, we're told, and, and, and there's so much here, by the way, as Burned out old Moses meets God in a burning bush. I mean, it's an amazing thing to see. But again, the setting is there. Behind him lay the desert. In front of him, the mountain. And specifically, the, the, the mountain with all of its grandeur. And in front of him now, as he's moving towards it, this, this spectacularly stunning and fearsome sight, uh, a bush quite possibly, again, a, an acacia bush, burning but not consumed. And he beholds, as he gets closer and closer to examine, what is this? As he draws near, we're told that 
that a voice speaks to him and calls his name, Moses, Moses. And Moses must think, no enemy here, for they know my name. And it says that Moses begins to engage the voice that's somewhere coming from either behind the bush, and you can almost hear him saying, yes, here I am. It's me. Who are you? What do you want? Who is this? What's going on here? Right? What's happening now? Moses. It says, it, it says and he moves to it, right? He advances in the direction of the fire, and he advances in the direction of the light, into the direction of the voice. And he can, he can, as he gets closer, you can, he can feel the heat that's even hotter than the, than the sun that's beating down on him. And as he draws closer to this, who's calling my name? It's me. What do you want? As he gets closer, the voice says, stop. Come no closer. Take off your shoes. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And by the way, in the East today, they still, when they wear sandals and when they go into places, and it's just common, more, far more common even in here, but in many places in the world today, you, you, you walk around in your shoes or your sandals they, for the protection they give, but when you come into a place, especially if it's a holy place, you would take them off because you're bringing with you the dust and the debris, and those things are to be left behind because it's a pure place. And so it's not uncommon to see that. But I'm going to tell you something about this holy ground. The Lord said, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. And we, and, but question, what made it holy? What made it holy ground? What made it holy was not the unique quality of the ground. It wasn't the fact that there is this secret place in the world that is, the, is a holy place, ground, that, that's different than other kind of ground. It's a... It's a holy ground, right? No, it's not about a place. It's not the uniqueness of the ground. It's the uniqueness of the one who dwells in time and space, but who had settled on that ground. And it was that that made it holy. And God says, come no closer, because I am here in a unique way. And it's pretty fascinating when you think about it. Now, let me turn that over and, and try to have us, in the time that we have left, draw things out from it that might be more applicable in terms of our own walk in life with God. Let me firstly suggest this, that you and I must also, like Moses did, be willing to turn aside from our agendas and pause to wonder at what God is doing. Frequently, listen, we miss what God is doing because we're so, we, we, we're so locked in to how we're living our lives that we're, we're not really seeing what's going on. And uh, our agendas sometimes are so uh, just kind of rote. We, we're so accustomed to living in a certain way, seeing in a certain way. Our eyes are kind of dulled. Our hearing is kind of overwhelmed because of the many sounds. And there are so many sounds in our culture, so many voices, so many things calling to us, uh, speaking to us, so much entertainment, so much in, in news, so much voices. And, and yet out of all those voices, there is a voice. And there is a way of seeing. And, I, and when I was, reading that, I was reading that third verse, and I was going, there was something about it when it says, then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see. There is something about deciding to turn aside and see. Turn aside and wonder at what is happening here. And I think we get, we get tunnel vision, but turning aside implies flexibility and a willingness to be interrupted. It implies activity and intrigue. Seeking God, listen, in his Mystery frequently, frequently leads to knowing him in his reality. And God will, will do things 
because he loves us to get our attention. And God is trying to get Moses' attention. And listen to this. He could have started with a word, but instead he started with a wonder. And a lot of times I'm convinced that there will be a few times in life when God will overtly seek to get our attention. And it may not be a burning bush, but it may be something that is designed to draw us closer to him. And what's more, notice, not only was it something that he was asked to turn aside to, but the reason behind what is going on is, and this is the second piece here, is that God also wants us to learn, really, how to engage him relationally. And that in, in this, this, this idea that we must be, willi- be willing to respond, here I am, when he speaks our name, right? Because God cares not just about us looking, he wants to know, us to know him. And it may be a distinction in a way between the first and second. I mean, the first, it says, turn aside and see. Okay, let me put it this way. It's one thing to say, you know what? I'm going to check out God. I'm, gonna ch- I'm kind of curious. I'm interested. It's another thing to step into a deeper dialogue with the Lord in our lives. Some of us have come to the place where our curiosity has been struck, and we turn aside and we wonder at it. Hmm, what is that? It could be true. But there's another thing about letting God speak our name. Because you see, when God spoke his name, what was he saying? I know you. And I want you to know me. And in a way, it was like he was saying, I want you to know me in a whole different way than, your, than your, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew me as the El Shaddai, the God Almighty. Your, your fathers knew me in that way. But I will show you who I am in a, different, a whole different way. I will be the I am to you. I will be Yahweh. I will be the one who is self-existent and present and will do mighty things among you. And Moses, you are going to see this. It's about, it's about turning aside, yes, and, 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 and wondering, good, um, but it's more than that. It's also about God's desire to have us know him relationally. Listen, God does, it matters to God that we believe the right things, but he really wants us to know him and love him. Um, and, and I'm not dismissing one. I mean, we can admire him from afar and do all the right things and miss his heart and miss what it means to really have a relationship with the Lord. One of the real threats to growing further in the years with Jesus is we get so accustomed to it, just like any other relationship, that we start to take it for granted and we go through the motions, we do the right things, we give, we attend, we're faithful, we try to honor his word, we read it, but we've lost the passion, the love, We've lost the melody, and we have only the lyrics. It's not enough. It's not just truth. It's grace and truth. It's life. It's it's a flowing stream, not a dead pond. It's the way of the Lord. And he calls us to a life that is alive with him. And that's that's kind of an amazing thing when you think about it, because when he says, Moses, come, come, come. And Moses says, here I am, Lord, here I am. I mean, it's almost like we get to decide are we going to respond to God? Are we going to respond? In James, in the New Testament, there's two verses that came to my mind here. One of them is in James 4.8. It says this, that if we will draw near to God, he will draw near to us. This sticker is really a great picture. Moses draws near to God. God's going to draw near to him. But even that drawing near that's in our own heart is God put it in there to want to know him, to want to know ourselves in him. And then think about this amazing verse in Revelations 3.20 where Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I knock on that door. And sometimes that's like our lives. 
And the Lord is knocking, and he's saying, listen to me, I want to end, I want in. Now, a God that pleads to know us. And if anyone will hear my voice and open that door, and again, it may be the opening of that door for the first time in our life where we say, I do want to know you. And think what he says, if you will open that door, I will come in, and, and, and I want to, listen, I want to dine with you. What, a, what a, an amazing thing, the God of fire and light, the God of... The, of holiness wants to be our fellowship and friend. Uh, he wants to engage us. Have uh, the image Jesus gives is let's let's enjoy a meal together. And you think about some of the best conversations in life that ever occur. Uh, it, it happens around the table, just sharing a meal together, talking, rich conversation, um, interacting, knowing one another. Uh, not other things necessarily going on, just having the time to enjoy that together, that time together. And you know what? That's kind of what the Lord is saying. He's saying, you know, I just want to know you. I just, I've, I've given everything I have to let you have an opportunity to know me, and I want to come into your life. And, I, and listen, it's not just about people who maybe haven't welcomed Christ in. We all get to decide to do that. I actually see this verse as being more to those who've already made a decision to welcome the Lord in. And yet, at the same time, we can, we can begin to push God out of our lives because we're believing the right things, doing the right things, but our heart is far from him. And we need to pray real prayers. And we need to cry some tears. And we need to draw near to God. And we need to hear him say our name. And we need to say, here I am, Lord. What do you have for me to do? Give me courage. I'm open. I'm available. I'm willing. Lastly, thirdly, not only must we do these first two things? But thirdly, we must be, and I'll just kind of say it, in, <laughs> we must be willing to take off our shoes, right, with God. The Lord said, take off your sandals. And I don't mean literally take off your shoes, right? And we can if we want to, I guess, but don't do it here. I, <laughs> but the, 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 yes, there is a holiness to this. There, there is, you know, whole, think about why did he say that? Why did he say that? You know, there's a holiness component to it. We alluded to this. You know, you're coming into a pure place. No question about it. But it's two other things, isn't it? It, it speaks of two other things. Taking off our shoes implies humility. And holiness always calls us to humility because it exposes our lack of holiness, our sinfulness, our lack of purity, if you will. And when we come into God's presence, we don't come saying, here I am. Aren't you lucky to have me? No, no, no. You don't come to me that way. You take off your shoes. You come into my presence because you're in the presence of fire and light that exposes everything. But I invite you to come. Take off your shoes. But it's not just humility because God resists the proud but gives grace, what, to the humble. But it's more than that. Think about it. What do our shoes cover? They cover our feet. What do our feet do? Our feet take us places, don't they? We walk. With, we go places with them. It's almost like the Lord is saying, Moses, I want to take you to a place. I have a way for you to go. And it's just like the Lord would say to us, I have a way for you to go. Will you yield to me? That as well. Will you help me get you past yourself and believe that I have something for you to do for me? And it may not necessarily be me, us being sent to Egypt to deliver a nation or some other part of the world. Listen, it may be simply saying, Lord, I'm a, here I am. Use me this week when I'm at work. Use me, Lord, to speak a right word at a right time. Help me, Lord, to have courage 
to express my heart, to even be open to praying for someone if the situation arises. Help me, Lord, to be available to you for the divine connection that you want to set up so that we may have an appointment with someone who needs to hear these good words that God longs to say. That I can tell my story, Lord, and in some miraculous, amazing way that this God of the burning bush who's so pure and so amazingly intense loves us so much that he gave for us his only begotten son that we might know him, not just as the God who is far away, the God of the mountain and the God of fire and the God of light, but the God who comes to us and in the face of Jesus we see him who loves us so and calls us to live a life that honors him and is a blessing to others. For Jesus told us that this is the greatest thing, and he echoed the words of the older prophets as well. The greatest thing ever is to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Aim for that. And then he says, and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is pleasing and right in God's eyes. The Lord calls us to trust him, to allow the holy God to use us wholly in this life for him. And to sometimes part of his holiness to, to, get, us to, be, to get us moving forward is to help us get whole, better, so that we can be the blessing we've been, been designed to be. So, Lord, as we, as we are here in this time, as we've shared and engaged and, and thought about this teaching, and, um, you know, we're, we're getting ready to close the service out with our, our giving time and our, and our closing song, but my, real, my prayer is that we would all be drawn closer to you, whether we've just started to get close to the fire, as it were, would you burn in our hearts uh, yearning to know you. And for those of us who've been following you for a long time, maybe, may you give us the gift of first love. And may you reignite things inside of our own hearts so that we are serving you for the right reasons. And I know you have places for us to go and people for us to talk to and things for us to do, even small things that will make a difference, and who can always say what that will be. But it starts by being open and available, humble and willing, yielded and still. Use us, Lord. Use even these desert places of life because you're the holy God who longs to send us. And I just ask for your blessing over these closing minutes, and I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen, God.